Look at that. The lights came up. Hey, welcome everybody. How are you this morning? Yeah, we got you backwards. At Ebenezer, what I've learned that may happen on a week-to-week basis, you, can ne- you will never know exactly what may happen. And you're going to go, on, oh, wait a minute, aren't we usually singing right now? Well, hold on, because we are going to sing, just not yet. And if you're a guest with us today, you're joining us online, I just want to say welcome. In the backs of the, the pews in front of you, there is uh, Connect Cards and new pens. So if you wouldn't mind, if you're a guest today, please fill that card out. Drop it off at our welcome desk. We'd love to give you a gift to show our appreciation. If you're joining us online, drop us a note right now. Like, don't, don't do anything else. Don't sip that coffee. Don't run into the next room. Drop us a note and say, hey, we're joining from wherever it is you're joining. And definitely drop in there some prayer requests. We want to be able to pray for you. Let us bless you. By series called We Are Ebenezer. And we are communicating to you what is already a reality, which is an expression of what the mission of our church is. And so we, if you want to follow me on your study guide, we've already started, we're halfway through, this is week three, got one more to go next week. But on your study guides, here's the statement. And I want you to repeat it to me. Let's just this is, this is early, this, and we threw the message on the front end, so let's, let's get, get awake, all right? I mean, I could do you like I used to do kids' church and throw some dum-dums at you and make you run around the gym, but we're not going to do that. We are a place of hope. Say that. We are a people of hope. We are Ebenezer. And so our first two, don't repeat that, our first two, the H and the O, we have already covered. H is help others know. So say help others know. And the O is own faith. So say own faith. And so up to this point, we have talked about also how these directives of our mission statement are undergirded by 12 stones. The first week when we talked about help others know, we talked about how we we see that when we connect, share, and invite. We looked at the story of the Samaritan woman and how Jesus modeled these things. Last week, we talked from Matthew 16, when Peter, when, they, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we learned that when we own our faith, there's three ways we see that. In what we confess, what we seek, and who we follow. And so this week, we're going to add two simple words. Two words that have great gravity in, in, the, in, the, in the movement of our mission I believe it's the energy expressed. Because when I think about help others know, I'm targeting the head. So I want you to think about the head when you think help others know. When I talk about owning faith, I want you to think about the heart. And this week, this this third statement, I want you to think about your hands. So everybody, everybody put your hands up. Just put your hands up. That feel uncomfortable? When we sing in a little bit, I'm going to challenge you to do it again. Because this is, this is all about our hands and our feet. I loved Audio Adrenaline. Audio Adrenaline is one of my all-time favorite bands, and they had the song, Hands and Feet. It is the expression, it's the means by which we are able to express what we believe. And so this week, you should have three blanks with an equal sign. This week, the two other words that starts with the letter P is this, pursue God. In fact, when we first wrote this, we said, pursue God passionately. 
And I want you to get that in your idea because this is all about intimacy. Pursue God equals intimacy. We are in this race in our faith, but we're doing so out of a relationship with God. We want to draw close to God in such a way that God impacts our life that we can impact the lives of those around us. And so in in being a people of hope, we must be a people of action, a people of movement, a people of mission, and a people of vision. And the focus of this mission is God. The focus of this mission is God and pleasing Him. And the vision of our mission, our vision, is to see lives changed. You are our vision. To see your life transformed by the gospel, by the grace of God, to pull you out of the depths of sin and put you in a new path. So I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite passages. Have you, have you noticed that every passage is one of my favorite passages? But I want you to look at verse number one. So once you get there on your device or your Bible, would you go ahead and stand? And we're going to read two verses at the very beginning of Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, I want to go ahead and throw a caveat in there. I don't like that comma after sacrifice. These are three adjectives that describe your body. Living, holy, acceptable. And then it's to God. So each of those things, living to God, holy to God, acceptable to God. Verse number two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, again, there's that word acceptable, and perfect. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into your word in the next few minutes, I pray that we are motivated, that we are reinvigorated, that we are revitalized in this idea that we are in a pursuit for you. Because we know that when you sent your son, you were in a pursuit of us. That when we were in our darkest and deepest place of sin, you were after us. And so today, let us hear how you are calling us in a pursuit of you, your glory, and your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. When you look at the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, which we call the law, the Torah, There's something very interesting to note about the progression of Israel's history. After the exodus of Israel from Egypt, as they were journeying in the wilderness and encountering people outside of Egypt on their way to Canaan, that's right, God makes a covenant with his people. Starting in Exodus 20, God gives to his people what we call the 10 commandments that laid a foundation for who God wanted his people to be and to do. He gave some basic ordinances and commands and the observance of three festivals. But then starting around chapter 25 and for the rest of the book of Exodus, God lays out this plan to create a place, a tabernacle, where God's presence could come and dwell with his people. 
Just like it was in the beginning when God walked through the garden with Adam and Eve. Now God wanted a house of his own, a dwelling, the tabernacle. And so when you, if you're reading through the Bible, you get to Exodus and after the Red Sea is parted and they walk through and you hear about the Ten Commandments, you start getting kind of, oh man, this is so technical. I mean, you're going to do this and this piece goes together and you sew these cloths this way and all of the things that were about the tabernacle. And then you get to the priests because God had set aside the tribe of Levi as his priest, his intercessors to administrate what was going to happen in the tabernacle. And so there was the ephod and how the priest and the high priest was to dress and what they were to do and how they were to wash and how they were to clean. And other than Exodus 32, when we see the golden calf, that takes up basically the rest of the book of Exodus. But then you get to the book of Leviticus, the book of Levites. And what I love about the book of Leviticus is this, is that the very beginning, before God begins to lay out any more ordinances and laws and restrictions and requirements under this, under this covenant, he goes ahead and says, this is how I want you to come back to me and approach me. This is how I want you to worship. You get that? Before any of the rest of this, of this covenant is laid out, other than the Ten Commandments, God calling his people to be a holy people set apart for divine purpose, he goes ahead and tells them how I want you to approach me in faith to get forgiveness when you mess up. And if you study, if you've ever done a study of the book of Leviticus and you read those first seven chapters, you learn that there were five primary sacrifices that were made. There was the burnt offering, which was a whole offering consumed. The whole entire corpse was consumed except the hide for appeasement to God. In other words, to connect with God. Then following that was what was called the meal offering or the grain offering. And it was a, a tribute made by offering made in response to atonement from the burnt offering. And then there was the peace offering. And it was kind of a goodwill offering. It was an optional offering. It wasn't necessarily required. But it represent an, an, represented an appeal of fellowship to God. And these first three, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, dealt with the person of God in relating to him. But then there were two others. There was the sin offering and there was the guilt offering. And these offerings were made, the first one was made when someone sinned unintentionally. Did you catch that? Sinned unintentionally. Think about restitution. I've done something wrong and I need to make it right. I need to restore it, it's restitution. And the one that was making the offering basically was taking their guilt and putting it on that animal and then it was being sacrificed to take that guilt away. The next one or the last one was called the guilt offering. And that offering was made when something went beyond the limits of what was right. I want you to think about paying reparation. If the first one, the sin offering was restitution, this is about reparations. And it was offered when someone went against God or one another beyond what the law was asking. Now why would I lay that out? Because in you, when you look at the Old Testament, the major act of worship, time and time again, is the idea of sacrifice. The word appears 288 times in the Old Testament, and it derives from two very similar Hebrew words. 
The first one in its most basic definition means to slaughter or to kill. But the other one, I mean, talking about just a vowel difference, the other one is, is attached in this aspect of righteousness to the sacrifice. We see it used in Genesis 31, 54, when it says, Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal, and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. This was done before the law was ever given. When we rewind the tape, we already see as early as Genesis 4 that there were sacrifices being made for the appeasement of God. In other words, throughout Scripture, we see men approaching God in faith so that their relationship with God could be right. What was the ultimate sacrifice that took away all sin? Whose? It was Jesus' sacrifice. And it's funny because when you look at Jesus and his sacrifice, his sacrifice was an offering. Now that word is awesome. Because when you read the Old Testament, do you know how many times the word offering is used? 1,348 times. Now we're talking about worship. We're talking about sacrifice and we're talking about offerings. Do you know how many times the word song or sing is used in the Old Testament? Less than 200. This word ranges, this word offering ranges from, from one, one particular word that's a verb, which sometimes is translated offer, but, but it, to offer something, but it also means to come up to and to approach. Is that not why these sacrifices were made? Was to bridge this gap because you and I are sinners. And in the Old Testament, they were sinners and they wanted to bridge that gap between their sin and their God so that they could enter into that place, that tabernacle, and they could hear from him. And it's no different in our practice today that you and I as spirit-filled believers, we have access to God through Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with him, but I'm afraid that we have forgotten the sacrifice and the offering that was necessary for us to be able to have that. Before any of the particulars of the law, before any of the do's and the don'ts were given, the means to make amends to sacrifice were given as a means to express faith in God. And it's very clear that worship and intimacy with God in the Old Testament involved sacrifice, the giving up of something of value or worth in light of the value and worth of a holy God. Sacrifice and offering. So as we look at Romans 12, 1 through 2, we see the great need that each of us have to pursue God with our passion in sacrifice. Wouldn't we want to know more deeply the God who knows us so well? Don't, don't we want to do, to do more than just come to church? Just come to another service or another gathering? Don't you want to come to a place where you can experience the power and the presence of God? In such a way that it transforms my life? When you read these words, and I, I want to read them in such a way that we don't miss the call that, that Paul is putting before the readers. Paul's writing to the Romans a people he's never met. And after spending chapters one through eight laying out the foundation and the reality of the gospel, 
He spends 9 through 11 talking about the relationship God has with the nation of Israel. The reality that Israel had rejected Christ, but that God still had a plan for them. And as he gets to the end of that, when he gets to the end of that chapter, he he has this amazement of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He praises him. In fact, he says in the very last verse of chapter 11, for him and through him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Therefore, First word in 12.1 is therefore. Therefore what? As a result of knowing God's sovereign plan, as a result of knowing the magnificent place that God holds, he begins to dig in. And he gives this heartfelt petition. In fact, he says, I urge you. Look at the text with me again. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren. Brethren is a, is, it's, it's a term of of endearment, of connection. And he uses the word, I urge you, which is very familiar to you and me because it's parakaleo, which is where we get parakletos, which is the word used of the Holy Spirit in John 16 when he says, I'm going to send my spirit to be your helper. Paul is saying, look, I'm not commanding you, I'm appealing to you. He could have said, I command you to be a living sacrifice, but he knew that he couldn't. He knew that us today, his readers, would have to willingly bind ourselves together and be laid on an offering as a living sacrifice. And to this, Paul is calling them to see where they are and to help them understand that old sacrificial system is gone. Jesus paid it all. The atonement for sin has been done. Faith in Jesus Christ is what is applied to my life and takes my sin away. But now he's, he's beginning to appeal them and say, now come. Step in into a pursuit of a relationship with God. We just studied the Samaritan woman. And Jesus said to her when they were debating religion, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Paul is calling the readers, both Jew and Gentile, to a new way, but one that is not too unfamiliar. The Jews are familiar with sacrifice. They know that when a sacrifice was brought to that altar, that the throat was slit of those offerings. That animal was killed. But God doesn't want us as a dead sacrifice. He wants us as a what kind of sacrifice? A living, that's an oxymoron. Now, I'm not calling somebody moron. Y'all know what an oxymoron is, right? It's two words used that, that are really far apart, but used to make a point. And God wants us to be a living sacrifice because to be dead to God is of no use. But he wants us to lay our life in his hands, all of it, not just some of it. And to me, that is the foundation and the basis of worship. And so... If you have your study guide, I want you to go to point three. We inverted everything this morning. I did that intentionally. Point number three says sacrifice. Say sacrifice. Sacrifice Sacrifice will be costly. If it doesn't cost you something, then it's probably not a sacrifice. 
If it doesn't stretch you, then it's probably not a sacrifice. Again, he says in the first part of that verse, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. The term mercies means to feel sympathy with the misery of another that displays in an act of benevolence. God is appealing to. God is appealing to them and saying, look, by the mercies of God, he has already acted benevolently toward you. In your greatest hour of need, God had a solution to your problem. Hey, listen, I've got, I've got, I know the problem to every problem in this world. It's called sin. When Adam and Eve submitted to the serpent, sin came in and, and now rules and reigns over the entirety of creation, which means you and me. We are sinners, and that is our greatest need. It's not our poverty. It's not where I'm going to choose to go to school or my next promotion or where I'm going to live. My greatest need is I'm a sinner and a sinner that is not saved is destined to a devil's hell, eternal damnation and punishment. That's pretty serious, right? But by the mercies of God, he reached down, sent his son to be our offering, our covering. He was our burnt offering, completely consumed. He was our peace offering to offer appeasement to God. He was our sin offering for the sins we didn't mean to commit and our guilt offering for the things that we did mean to commit. He covered every bit of it. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Jesus Christ loved you. Now listen, gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He is the example of what that means. And in this context, we have this great Pauline invitation to sacrifice ourselves, Paul himself said, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, that you have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. We understand and see that there is this invitation that on a daily basis we're laying our lives before a holy God and saying, God, do with me whatever you would want. And we want to be a soothing aroma in ministry for him, and he wants us to be living he wants our hands and he wants our feet. Did he not say in the same text last week, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If I'm going to follow him, I don't want to just drag behind. I want to be right up there with him. You know, when you see football teams come out of the tunnel, usually the captain or the coach is at the front of that of that line and anybody, I mean, all, almost everybody's trying to crowd around. I, I see images of, 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 of Alabama's football team and Georgia's football team as they're about to come down that tunnel and they're around the coach and they're all, they're all yeah, yeah, jumping up and down and getting, they're getting fired up, getting ready. And then they charge out of that tunnel. That's what I want us to be. That when we see that Jesus has invited us to sacrifice, that means I'm, I've been invited to give back to God what he's already given me. Psalm 24, 1 is clear that the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So the clothes that you wear, the money in your pocket, the car that you drove, the house that you live in, and the breath that you breathe belong to God. Why would we not want to give back to God the very best that we have 
if he gave the very best for us. Sacrifice leads to giving. And so I want you to think about, even, even in, the, in the text, when you read about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, hey, I want eternal life, and, he, and they go through a debate. Then he says, hey, I want you to come and follow me. Get, sell everything you have and come and follow me. And what happened to that rich young ruler? He said, no, nah, I can't do that. And he walked off because he had a lot of stuff. You see, I want you to understand that whatever sacrifice we make, it'll be costly. Because our pride of self desires security and things, possession and wealth. But to surrender these things, to count the cost and release them, allows me a means to, to approach and draw close to God. And so, if sacrifice is an expression of worship, then we understand that whatever worship we offer in this room and outside of, that room, outside of this room is costly. You know why? Because point number one, worship must be intentional. Worship must be intentional. Going back to verse number one, Paul used three adjectives to describe the sacrifice. Living, holy, and acceptable. This is where we are different. This is where we are not a religion. In fact, I, I found this article very intriguing from 2021 by Thaddeus Williams. And it was entitled this, Self-Worship is the Fastest Growing Religion in the World. And do you know how that looks? Here's six Six characteristics of self-worship. Your mind is the source and standard of truth. Your emotions are authoritative. You are sovereign. You are supreme. You are the standard of goodness. And so therefore you are the creator. Crafting and piecing things together. Now, if that be true, as we sit here today, he goes on to say this, in our day... The Westminster Catechism answer has been inverted. The chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy himself forever. One could even make the case that self-worship is the world's fastest growing religion. It is certainly the world's oldest if we read Genesis 3. Moreover, this religion lies beneath many of the most hot-button social and political issues of our day. And I would say, and in the church. When we exalt self and preference over the idea of worship being intentional. In fact, the word used here is rational. When it says spiritual service of worship, it means rational. What makes sense? Well, now what doesn't make sense is when I put all of my stuff ahead of what God is really calling us to do, which is to be a living sacrifice. I have to learn to die to me. Our offering in our lives in sacrifice to God should be the logical response to the gospel. Now, I'm going to meddle for a minute, and I'm, asking, I'm just warning you now. This supersedes singing, music choice, dress, appeal, and instruments. It's bigger than our worship center, our sound system, and our lights. It doesn't hinge on pastors, elders, deacons, teams, or membership. It rests on the worshiper becoming contrite and broken. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And when I take my preferences and put them here, I subjugate God's preferences down here. 
Thomas Frank summarized it best. He said, the offering of the believer's body refers to the offering of the entire self to God, particularly in the kinds of edifying and loving attitudes and actions toward others that Paul describes in the rest of this chapter. This is reasonable worship because it makes sense. Why does it make sense? Because it matches God's own merciful character as displayed in the good news that God has redeemed his people from slavery to sin. I don't let God set me free to bind myself up by my personal preferences. We must be intentional about our worship, and that worship must be in line with the will of God. Because when I do that, when I give up stuff that, so that God can be glorified, it will change how I relate to others. It'll change how I see my life. It'll change how I use my time. It'll change how I use my money, and it'll change how I express my talents. Why? Because my life is connected to his, and he connects back to me by his Holy Spirit. Since the Son of God has died for me, then the least that I can do for him is this. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, as British athlete C.T. Studd said, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. No sacrifice too great. What's the greatest sacrifice you've ever made? toward God. And I'm not talking about putting monetary value on that. I'm not talking about the volume of your voice. I'm talking about when it comes down to looking at your life, what have we sacrificed so that God can be glorified and the gospel can be magnified? When I tap into true worship, it exalts God and lessens me. And in this, we can prove and know what God wants. That second point How do we connect with God? How do we know? If if worship is about lifting God up and I want to be intimately connected with Him, then prayer must be a priority. Prayer must be a priority. When you finish that second verse, he says, and do not be conformed to this world. We're being called out of the world, called to be that sacrifice, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know and approve what is the will of God. We know the will of God primarily through His Word, but we also must be intimately connected to him in prayer. I gave you a reference there, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, that's a command. Pray without ceasing, that's a command. And in everything, give thanks, that's a command. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if by renewing my mind, I can find out what God's will is, then by rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, I'm tapping into that will. If I'm to know what God's will is, then I must learn how to commune with God. God's people must seek to know the mind of God and seek him with everything that they have. As Jeremiah 29, 13 is clear, you will seek and you will find me when you seek after me with your whole heart. And one of the ways that we find that is in prayer. See here, we are challenged with this. If, we, if, I, want to in, in, if I want to be intimate with God, then there are three keys at play here. I must worship intentionally, I must prioritize prayer, and I must sacrifice that which is costly. So today, our third directive, as we have said, is to pursue God. And I must pursue God to connect intimately. My hands and my feet are the means by which my faith is expressed. And we do this, we do this because we want the world to know who Jesus is, 
and the hope that they can have in him. And until I'm willing to make myself that living sacrifice, the world can't see the humility exemplified in our Lord who willingly went to a cross and shed his blood for you and me. His sacrifice cost him his life. What has our sacrifice cost us? What has our worship cost us? What has our praying cost us? Let's all agree. Let's all agree that as Ebenezer, we will worship God with our lives. That we will pray constantly and consistently. And that we will sacrifice and give of our talents, our time, and our resources. Why? Because I believe it is the door that will open up where we can see God do some amazing things in our church, in our community, in our state, and in our world as we pursue God. So what do we do with this message? What are the handles? What, 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 what's our application? You know what? We're about to sing. And singing is a way that we express our faith in God and exalt his name. So when we're singing in a few minutes, I want you to sing like never before. I know some of you don't like songs or you do like songs. That's, I want you to put that stuff aside and I want you to listen to the lyrics. And in your heart, I want you to cry out to a holy God and say, God, I want you to focus on that. I want you to sing with exaltation, but I also want you to sing with expectation. Because you want God to move like he's never moved before. And every week we talk about having uh, people up here to pray for you. That's why we're up here. You may be here today and you're like, you know what? I can't utter one single prayer. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. This week has just been trash. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. Let us pray for you. Or maybe you just need to come and kneel and just pray. That's what invitation time is. If you want to join the church and be baptized, you can come and talk to us or see us in the Connection Center. But this time after the message is for you to respond in prayer or to come be prayed for. Why? Because at Ebenezer, we believe in prayer. And I want that to be this time. And here's the thing. It may cost you something. It must be intentional. And all of this must be a priority. And so I want you to wrestle with this question. What have you given lately that did cost you something? Because when it costs you something, I believe that's when it becomes really real. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we move into this time of worship, I pray you speak to our hearts and our lives. I pray, God, that you would show us, Lord, maybe there is something you've put in front of us that we need to sacrifice. Maybe there's something that you've put in front of us that, that maybe we have just pushed to the side because we haven't prioritized worship and praying in our life, the means by which we have to exalt and connect with you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we are burrowing still into this mission statement, that we would pursue you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.